Hello and welcome, and we're here at Holistic Investments, and I'm your host, Konstantin Kogan. And I'm excited to have here two great uh, co-founders at Fourth Revolution Capital, Keegan Selby and EJ Rogers. Hi, guys. How you doing? Amazing. It's actually my first interview with two people uh, together, uh, two co-founders, so it's exciting. We're going to do this experiment, and uh, we're going to share some of the interesting uh ways how to increase your yield. We're going to talk about DeFi. You're going to share the screen, even to show some of the uh, intricate details how to get into the DeFi space. Uh, but before that, traditionally, we have to get off the hook uh, and uh, um, you know allow compliance officers to approve this episode. So this content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. So we're off the hook. So let's let's talk a little bit about your background, guys. Like, uh, how did you even get to crypto? Like, you know, why did you start uh, Fourth Revolution Capital? Sure, um, I'll go there. So EJ and I met in in college at USC. Um, I was studying aerospace engineering and entrepreneurship. He was studying finance and econ. Um, we ended up both working at the same uh, asset manager and fund outside of college after college. Um, he's this $100 billion, you know, real estate and finance mortgage credit manager uh, with this huge vertical under it. So they did everything from brokerage, lending, servicing, title escrow, secondary capital markets, uh, you name it. Um, and we were in a management associate program there. Uh, so we went through, you know, kind of all the core business lines and then ended up in, in the fintech startup arm, which was tasked with kind of creating this single digital destination for all the real retail facing components of the company. So uh, essentially one place where you can go to search for homes like Zillow to get a loan like Rocket Mortgage and then close and own and kind of pay your, your mortgage payment, pay your insurance and, you know, aggregate a lot of your kind of home related expenses in one, in one dashboard. Um, so while we were building kind of that, that piece of FinTech, um, we were exposed to one kind of how all the myriad inefficiencies and kind of rent seekers in traditional financial products and services and fintech. Um, and two, we were really getting uh, involved in crypto. You know, I had, you know, we've been trading Bitcoin since early 2013. Um, and then with when Ethereum hit the scene and we kind of grasped the concept of if then logic for programmable money, um, that was like, you know, a big light bulb for us. We're like, wow, this, you know, this is more than just kind of you know, store value gold, you know, asset. This is this is something that could be entirely revolutionary for, for the financial system. Um, and then when decentralized finance, you know, some of the key apps really started gaining usage. Um, we started to see billions of dollars locked in their smart contracts. Uh, we were like, hey, you know, this is the time earlier this year that, uh, that we, you know, we should leave TradFi behind and we should commit 100% to supporting the evolution of DeFi. Um, so that's kind of our backgrounds, how we, you know, how we got involved in crypto and, and why, you know, we're so passionate about DeFi as, as a kind of specific sector. Um, I, you know, maybe I'll pass off to EJ who can talk about, you know, how we started fourth revolution capital, what our investment strategy, our thesis is, uh, and kind of why we're so excited about, you know, being involved in the space. Yeah. Thanks, Keegan. So, um, you know, as just mentioned, I come from a traditional finance background, Keegan from engineering. We ended up in this, you know, big real estate uh, mortgage credit asset manager. And we had this unique experience where 
you know, we, we were working for what was effectively a, a fintech startup. So we had the fintech and consumer internet experience there, building that new technology, um, shipping product. But at the same time, we were actively operating legacy companies and legacy systems. And we're, it was you know, painfully obvious to us that these systems just were not going to be the future. And you know, at the same time, as, you know, as Keaton said, we, we were kind of, our personal interest in, in crypto and blockchain was taking up more of our, you know, more of our excitement, more of our mind share. Uh, we came across this report in 2018 that was by SFIG, the Structured Finance Industry Group, uh, that was specific to securitization uh, in the mortgage space. So talking about how blockchain technology could be leveraged to improve uh, and make more efficient every step uh, for all the way from origination of a loan through servicing, through secondary market op operations and securitization. And that was kind of a light bulb moment for us where we were just like, wow, you know, this, this, this future kind of utopia vision is A, attainable and B, so much better than what we're seeing today. Uh, at the same time, we had this idea, you know, within the company of this concept called home shares, where you could effectively, you know, before this technology really even began to exist, but like somehow fractionalize ownership in your home and have a much more fluid liquidity profile. So to be able to basically very quickly, like you might in Aave today, take a quick loan against your house rather than having to go through the process of a traditional refinance or cash out or, you know, HELOC. Um, so we started to think through, you know, how could we apply these things to the company that we're at today? Um, and, you know, since then, we've just continued to kind of percolate through ideas, different startup concepts within blockchain. And ultimately, uh, you know, DeFi kind of hit its stride right in time where we were saying, you know, this is, this is what we want to do professionally. And, you know, we're starting, we have started to see the real product market fit, the real usage, the real cash flows that create an opportunity to value some of these companies in ways that, traditional investment methodologies can process and that traditional investors can understand. So that was kind of the impetus for launching for RC. Um, and our goal in the fund really is to partner with founders and with teams that are creating solutions via, via crypto um, that allow users to do th the same things they do in TradFi, but in a more easy and accessible way. Um, at the same time, kind of opening up markets to the unbanked and sort of all, all of this, the, the ethical upsides that you hear, the societal upsides that you hear associated with, with crypto. So, um, you know, we, we kind of come into the scene really looking to partner with these teams, get our hands dirty. When, when we find a project that we believe in, you know, we really see ourselves as extensions of the founders and of the developers and doing everything we can to Kind of help leverage our experience operating traditional businesses um, to kind of guide and, and help support in whatever way we can. So whether that's token economic modeling or you know DAO mechanism designs, just incentive structures, uh, helping the teams kind of navigate the personnel side. Um, those are the types of things that we're really excited about. And you know we're, we're stage agnostic. We're, we're flexible in what we can invest in. Um, right now we're really focused on DeFi, and again that's just sort of because. That's where we see the first killer use case coming about in Ethereum. Um, and, you know, we're probably partial towards teams that have a token or plan to launch one right now. 
Um, not to say that that's a forever thing, but that's just as of now, what we see is the best way to, through token and economic modeling, align incentives and get all these different stakeholders that have their own kind of self-interests operating in ways that are beneficial to the protocol on the whole. So um, that's, that's for our scene in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah, no, this is, this is helpful. And um, so let's go. I have already a lot of questions for you. So a little bit of background before we go into the, your investment thesis and of your due diligence process. So uh, as, I, as I understood, like, you know, from your um, uh, pitch deck as well, like the, the fourth revolution capital, like as the idea behind it is like, it's also to substantiate it with some of the um, history, I would say, like, you know, there are three industrial revolutions. The first one was, you know, when we went through from uh, the transform the agricultural, like, you know, base villages into more factory base, you know, like then the second one was from, uh, you know, invention of electricity and uh, uh, the combustion engine. And the third one was like, you know, computers, internet, and now we're talking about artificial intelligence, blockchains, and other great, you know, innovative products. So now, in this fourth revolution, like how do you even due diligence, like so to speak, this Web three uh, projects? Like, what is the main criteria for you guys? You know, when you look at the protocol, right? Uh, so we we see a lot of you know DLT projects, and some of them are you know deemed to be like those unicorns and crypto aspect of this world and some of them potentially won't go anywhere because the adoption is very slow and might not be even the case so can you talk about a little bit of this aspect what is your due diligence process sure um so i think the first one the easiest thing is if this doesn't present a massive improvement over the trad by status quo um then maybe we should prioritize elsewhere so Things like savings accounts at Chase, you have a 0.01% interest rate on your savings account at Chase. That's one basis point. That's $10 on every $100,000 you have in your savings account at the end of the year. Um, in Aave, you know, that, that rate on US dollar peg stable coins floats from anywhere from two to five, 10 to 12%. Um, you know, so that's 500, that's a thousand times, it's three orders of magnitude improvement kind of in the best, you know, at the top of the rate cycle um, over, over track. And so for someone who, who's not familiar with Aave, sorry to interrupt you, but like, uh, can you explain in, in a nutshell, what is Aave? Yeah. yeah. So Aave is, you know, in a nutshell, it's just a, a single platform to borrow and lend on. So it's a money market. Um, so you can deposit assets like stable coins. You can deposit assets that are volatile, like Chainlink or Ethereum. Um, and you can borrow against them, or you can earn, simply earn interest. Mm-hmm. Um, on the assets that you deposit. And so there's that where there, there was like, hey, you know, this is, if it's, uh, if the yield is 5% on Aave and it's 0.01%, that's 500, you know, times more interest that I'm making on my money. So that's a no brainer. Um, that's a, you know, that's a product and, and platform that we would certainly be interested in investing in. And then two, it's this brand new use case altogether where, uh, like borrowing against other volatile assets, that's kind of equivalent to infidelity. If you ever to like deposit your Tesla stock and borrow Amazon stock. So now you have exposure to th- both those stocks, but you never had to buy the Amazon. You were able to borrow against your Tesla. And then, um, you know, one, if you put it up at in London, you were maybe earning interest on your Tesla, like an additional dividend. Um, and two, you have kind of the ability to uh, gain margin or leverage and, and, and gaining exposure to other assets. So that was kind of like the, 
mind blowing light bulb moment where EJ and I were like, Hey, like, you know, we're beyond just, Hey, you're, you're earning more interest. We're into all brand new use cases enabled by DLT and smart contract technology um, that just simply aren't possible in the traditional finance space. Um, so that's probably step one in our due diligence. Like, Hey, does, does this thing really matter? Um, are these tokens, you know, what are the value accrual mechanisms or what are the profit centers that actually, uh, you know, that create price floors and situations where tokens should appreciate with usage. Um, so kind of the token economic model would definitely be second. Um, I'd say probably the path to decentralization. So is this project, does it have some central entity that has admin keys to inflate the, you know, do some crazy inflationary monetary policy and print, you know, mimic the Fed and print, you know, billions, trillions more in value of the token, uh, which could, you know, cause inflation, cause the, the token price to appreciate. Um, or are they, you know, pursuing a path to like DAO governance? Are they trying to hand over um, governance of the protocol and the platform and what assets can be listed as collateral, et cetera, all those decisions to the actual community, to the users um, that are using the product. Uh, so that to us is, you know, from a regulatory risk perspective and from just, you know, the ethos of DeFi is another major kind of qualifying factor that, that we look to kind of evaluate with the founders and make sure that they don't want to, they don't want to be the supreme rulers forever. Um, and they want to hand over kind of the keys to the car, to the, the community and the users. Um, so I think, you know, those would be my top three. I don't know, EJ, if you have anything else to add. Yeah, I think it, I think it kind of, it kind of touches on, you know, the, the first point um, of, of, is this thing useful? Like what are the, are users going to want it? Are they going to go through the added, you know, trouble if we're being honest as it is today of, of learning about, about, you know, DeFi and actually interacting with the protocols. And so another piece there, I think, is you kind of got to look at where do you see things going? It, we talk about like TradFi coming in and all this, you know, the, the treasury narrative, all these people buying Bitcoin institutions, getting exposure, pensions, you know, large family offices. Um, and then you start to think, okay, well, what, what is going to be necessary for not maybe what the world doesn't look like today, but what it might look like in five years, right? And so you start to think about things like, managing risk in more creative ways. Uh, and, you know, we'll talk more about Barnbridge later, later in, in the chat, I'm sure. But that was kind of one of those things for us. Where we were just like, oh, this needs to exist and it doesn't today. Um, and, you know, you can kind of extrapolate out where, where you see the market going and what sorts of solutions uh, will be needed, maybe not today, but tomorrow. So other things like, you know, creative decentralized protocol insurance options, um, more, more, exotic or flexible derivative financial instruments that, um, you know, one, feed off of native crypto assets, but two, can utilize net new technical tools that would, would never be possible in financial infrastructure uh, from, from the tra traditional or legacy world. So uh, I think that's kind of another, another piece that we look at when, when we're evaluating, you know, where we want to kind of stake, you know, both capital and, and our, our our time and, and energy and kind of helping these projects to, in whatever ways we can to realize their vision and uh, serve the broader community. So just to ask you openly, like, you know, right now, if, if we would divide it into several buckets, so one is a financial risk, you know, like, you know, I, sometimes it can be over collateralization or uh, sometimes it can be just technical risk. You know, so, some people like need like a second view on the smart contract. So you need to make sure that the smart contract is not broken, not to repeat the DAO history, which again, right now we don't see a lot of this, but like, you never know, right. Especially with those new projects. Uh, 
I, I, I'm curious, how do you solve this like conundrum? Do you hire an outsource specialist just to take a look at the code, you know, like, and how do you make sure that they don't appear? Yeah. So, you know, that's definitely point number four that, you know, we left out is, is the founder's approach to security, um, especially when it comes to retail user collateral that's locked in their smart contracts. Um, so one of the first things we do is, hey, you know, how many audits have you had or how many audits are you planning to have? Who are the auditors that you're using? Um, we have kind of independent auditors that we work with whenever we're going to put our LP funds into a smart contract. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's, you know, if it's a newer platform or newer contract or newer uh, pool or liquidity mining incentive, um, then we'll have independent contract, independent auditors look at it and make sure that, you know, our funds will be safe and there's not an admin key or, or some other vulnerability in the contract. Um, but a, a general approach to security and like a healthy appetite um, and budgeting for audits kind of consistently uh, from the founders and protocol side is certainly another piece of due diligence that's, you know, an absolute deal breaker. If they're like, oh, you know, like um, kind of the test and prod, Andre, uh, you know, approaches is amazing. It's like he's building at a, at a pace that, you know, who knows if it's ever been done before in any industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously there's all sorts of risks that come with that. So, you know, we, we want to make sure that let's, let's balance both kind of our speed um, and, and aggression in going to market with uh, kind of security and maintaining, you know, bringing products into the space that are responsible for kind of the end users. Got it. And a quick question, what, what is your typical uh, ticket size? You know, what's your minimum investment? Um, we've done anything from 50 to 300K. Um, we're, like EJ said earlier, we're stage agnostic, so... We could write million plus dollar check sizes if we saw fit. Um, a lot of the times when we're, you know, we, we really like to position ourselves early uh, for, you know, Barnbridge, for example, which EJ alluded to, we led their seed around, um, what, you know, a couple months ago now. And uh, we, we were involved with that project from before the white paper was even fleshed out. We helped, uh, you know, financial modeling, their token distribution, uh, modeling out some of their the smart yield product. Um, so we like to be really early. And typically when you're involved that early, uh, teams don't need millions and millions of dollars. Um, so it's kind of more responsible for everybody involved and, and for the VC to not take some egregious cut of the total token supply um, to write kind of smaller checks at that stage. And then when they go to re-raise and they do a series A or so be it, um, that's when we would step in and write kind of the larger checks. Got it. And you invest sometimes in tokens, sometimes in equity, right? Because it's also a tricky question. You know, some companies, they don't have equity, right? So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Barmers was a, a great example of that. They went completely uh, Dow first. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we literally invested our, you know, we sent funds from a MetaMask to an Aragon Dow. Um, and now we've been claiming kind of the, the vested tokens for our vesting schedule uh, via Etherscan. Um in MetaMask since. So, you know, that was, you know, there was a SAP sort of like as a backup, but, um, but it was, you know, entirely smart contract, you know, blockchain native from the get go. And, uh, you know, we prefer that. We love that. That's, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're deep DeFi power users. So that's awesome and really interesting. And, uh, you know, token liquidity schedules and all that is obviously kind of more enticing to us from an investor perspective, since we don't have to wait for some exit, you know, like a sale or acquisition or whatever years down the line. Um, but we have the flexibility, like EJ mentioned, to uh, buy equity as well and you know, sit on the board or, or however we're going to structure the investment. Yeah. The, the, the tricky question I want to ask you, like, especially for someone who is interested in investing in your fund or like, generally interested in this space, 
how do you legally like you know make sure that your investment when you're doing it from MetaMask account, which is still you know crypto to crypto, so to speak, right? How how do you even show it to because you have fiduciary responsibility to your investors, right? Who are a lot of times I can imagine they invest U.S. dollars in your fund, right? So, uh, how do you show them the NAV, or like how do you even like you know report you know like and with the growth of the company? A lot of expensive uh, third-party service providers is the short answer. So you know we work with a fund administrator um, that we're constantly you know they're plugged into exchanges. You know you know we have they have. Coinbase cracking all the major exchanges. They have direct API feeds in, so they can kind of read our accounts programmatically that way. Um, they can monitor our, our you know public Ethereum addresses uh, via Etherscan and kind of see our transaction activity that way. And then we'll provide all the kind of supporting investment documentation around legal agreements and SAPs and uh, token sales, you name it, um, kind of as additional backup. But I mean, you're alluding to the point that it is extremely complex and difficult to kind of monitor and to engage, uh, you know, to bridge traditional, you know, LP fund structures with uh, kind of the modern investment strategies, uh, especially when it comes to, to yield strategies, you know, when we have to account for staking, liquidity provision, lending, all the returns and kind of the net proceeds um, from those activities and return those to LPs. Um, that's, you know, that's another, you know, that's where we have fund admin, we have audit, we have tax, uh, we have a legal team. And we have custody solutions and banking partners that uh, that all charge a pretty penny to help us with all those activities. And, and I think I think uh, you know one of the beauties of of the space at large is that you do have that kind of uh, at least once the token is launched initially, uh, you have a much faster path to preliminary price discovery. Um, granted, you know you see more volatility out of the gates than you do once something's fully diluted, but Comparing it to the traditional, you know, world of VC or, or kind of like private investing, um, you're often seeing like we're seeing, you know, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, like these big kind of fintech companies that have come about and were where everyone knew they were valuable, but no one really knew what the market demand was up until the IPO. And then you're seeing, I think DoorDash was up 87% or some number like that, you know, first day of trading. And that obviously just goes to show that all of the private valuations were off base. And so when you have a scenario where you have almost immediate price discovery, or at least the beginnings of it, um, it does, it does, you know, make it easier to kind of quantify what these things might be worth, or at least what the, the market feels that they're worth. And in the end of the day, you know, that, that is what price is. So um, it's certainly more complex, but in some ways it's, um, you know, e easier, I guess you could, you could argue as well. Yeah, for sure. And again, like I, I, I was curious to just, you know, uh, explain it because right now uh, digital assets are still under like strong scrutiny. Like, you know, there's, we're, we're not like still in a massive adoption stage yet. And uh, it's a maturity stage and there are a lot of great news. Obviously, we're going to talk about them today as well. You know, just Ethereum 2.0, like, you know, on the 1st of December, like, you know, right now it's one week exactly how, um, you know, how when it happened. So there are a lot of uh, great uh, layer two solutions. There are a lot of incredible projects. So, but probably I want to ask you, like, in your, because you're, you're those guys who are ready to take this complex, you know, all the traditional legacy, like, you know, fund structure and package it for an investor who wants to uh, explore this space and then go and invest in the best possible projects in the industry. 
So how do you see this space and how do you explain to your potential investors, you know, why, why do they even have to care about it? I think one of the, one of the best ways to do that is, as kind of simple or tongue in cheek as it might sound is just to tell them, you know, don't, don't take my word for it. Go try this thing. Like go try it out. I mean, I know both of us have had so many experiences with friends, family, you know, even, even parents who, for so long, I was, you know, I was trying to explain to them what this thing was that I was doing in all my spare time at first. And, and now is my full-time job. And then I pull up, you know, the compound and example that Keegan showed before. And my mom is like, okay, how, how do I do this? Can you set this up for me? You know, after thinking it's this magical mythical, like no idea what's going on with this blockchain thing, this wizardry science. And it's just like, okay, I see the number that's better than what I get. I'd like to, you're telling me this, this stable coin thing is just basically a U.S. dollar. Then, I want to do that. Right. So, um, you know, I think it's kind of a show and prove situation where, where the, the benefits and the usability are just so, are so obvious now that it's really tough not to care. And at the same time, you have these incredibly powerful narratives emerging, um, you know, the micro strategy treasury play, which has attracted a lot of interest and, and, you know, news yeah. for the case, I guess. Um, you know, they you recently, see- they bought $50 million more. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, people are kind of talking about that in the space as because the SEC has been resistant to a, a, an ETF, a true ETF, I know Grayscale does something similar, but kind of at a bit of a premium. Um, th- this could be sort of a, a, a basically a, a levered kind of call option on, on Bitcoin, because what, they're, what they are trying to do now, MicroStrategy, is raise convertible notes, which, you know, the investor can convert to equity at some point down the line to buy more Bitcoin with the treasury. So if that bet's right, you know, they're taking a levered Bitcoin position and you as the investor have exposure to that just through holding the micro strategy share, um, which is very interesting um, yeah. if for nothing else than the PR of it all. But w- what, you know, what I would also expect is that that's really going to put the pressure on the SEC to start to create uh, real legitimate ways to gain ETF type exposure to these assets because the demand's obviously there. Um, you know, and then you see other narratives like Bitcoin coming on to the Ethereum blockchain. There was kind of that whole debate about one versus the other when I think both of us really see like these things work together. Like Bitcoin serves its purpose. It's the most mature, the highest market cap, the most well-known, um, you know, h- harder money, arguably. But Ethereum has so much more possibility in terms of what can be built on it, uh, how the protocols operate alongside one another with the whole concept of money Legos and composability. And when you see this massive migration through RAP Bitcoin, REN Bitcoin, TBTC, um, what that's signaling is that people want to hold Bitcoin the asset, but they want access to all the tools and the flexibility that DeFi and that Ethereum more broadly uh, allow. So you can kind of just, you show them the protocols, they see that, you show them the DeFi pulse charts and the exponential growth in you know, usage and in TVL, total volume locks. Um, and then you kind of explain these narrative things and the whole like, you know, monetary policy is, is at the center of kind of public discourse in a way that at least like post financial crisis, it certainly hasn't been before. And I think everyone's sort of looking at that and saying, you know, how does this make sense that we're just printing these trillions of dollars within a matter of weeks? Like that's gotta, like, I don't, maybe, maybe these people didn't study economics or finance, but take a rocket scientist to understand that that is going to have an impact somewhere down the line. Um, so, you know, there's just a, there's a lot of different 
kind of factors right now that are that are very um, applicable to to folks that might not have been exposed to to crypto in the past or might have never experimented with it. And, and now, unlike with 2017, when oftentimes people that aren't familiar with the space compare this DeFi boom to what happened back in 2017. And back to my first point, the difference there was you couldn't go say, go check out Compound, go let me go screen share on Constantine's podcast, how synthetics staking works, and like this cool system. There's just a white paper with some researcher that got paid off to sign off on it. And it was just completely like the Fugazi that sort of everyone <laughs> kind of wrote off crypto because of back in those days. So yeah. it's, it's similar right now in terms of like the, the growth and interest that from outside the space, but night and day in terms of what you see once you actually take a look under the hood. And I just had a couple things, Constantine, mm-hmm. you know, um, so all those points that EJ just mentioned are, you know, 100% valid. Um, those are all things that directly relate to us here in the States. Um, hey, you know, earn 500 to 1000 times more interest on your savings account, um, be able to use kind of some of the assets that you have as collateral to borrow against and you know, access instant liquidity. Those are all really cool and compelling use cases for us. Um, the 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 second thing that we kind of the other angle that we expose uh, potential LPs to or just our friends and family is kind of the global uh, total addressable market for financial services that's completely unmet right now. Um, like everyone's kind of heard that they quoted like twenty two percent or you know a few uh, a couple billion out of the seven eight billion people on the planet don't you know are completely unbanked or they don't have an app they don't have a bank account. Um, they're keeping, you know, paper and coins, uh, at their house. They don't have access to credit or a loan, um, and, or investment vehicles to kind of like, you know, gain interest and kind of accumulate wealth in the long term. Um, DeFi enables that for anyone with an internet connection, uh, regardless of who you are in the world. And like, that's, you know, no KYC projects like synthetics. Um, that's, you know, an Aave that that's a major, major breakthrough for, uh, people and you know in places like Venezuela and Haiti and Zimbabwe and Iran, where they you know maybe they're censored, uh, maybe their fiat currency is suffering from millions of percent in inflation. You know we complain here, like you do, is saying, "Oh, the Fed's printing trillions of dollars." I hope that doesn't cause five percent inflation because that would be devastating to the American economy and the U.S. dollar. And people in Venezuela are like five percent. We our currency is inflated one million percent. Um, it's unusable. You know it's. it's it's better used as like, you know, to, to light a fire and keep the house warm than it is to buy, you know, a gallon of milk. So that that's the other kind of angle and narrative that um uh, is, you know, less relevant for us in the States, but is a meaningful use case for blockchain and and uh and you know, we're working with people all over the world, um, in Nigeria and elsewhere, that uh, you know, this is a, you know, incredibly fascinating and a major breakthrough that's impacting us. So yeah, no, that's an, all our impressive points, and I'm happy that we're discussing them in details because, you know, coming back to your um, few moments that you were talking about before, like, you know, uh, in the previous episode where I had, uh, where I had um, Meltem Demirs, you know, she mentioned, like, you know, all the finance are working on the two major rails, so to speak, like securitization and leverage, right? So in this particular new technology, like which DeFi introduces us, we're, we're st- seeing those things on steroids and at the same time, uh, excluding all the intermediaries and providing the risk actually in a more transparent way. Now, when I try to explain it to some of the folks who are, I would say, less 
technologically savvy. Um, that was tough because it, you always have the questions, you know, well, how do you even prove like, you know, that the risk, you know, diminishes or like what's the risk, especially if I, if you, as to your point, there is no KYC amount who's going to be responsible. People can just like, you know, blow up the projects and run away with their ledger in their hands and buy Lambo. Uh, so all those narratives, they still exist. So I'm actually excited to do that. And to another point, just not before we get into the practical um, rundown on the, on the barn bridge. And so yeah, MicroStrategy actually with their entire basis portfolio, which is worth, which, you know, the nominal price was about 475 million. If we combine the August purchase of 250 mil, uh, then the September 175, and then the recent 150 million, right now their value denominated, if you would denominate it in dollars, uh, it's uh, about 747 million. So they almost doubled, you know, like in, you know, span of like, what, less than a few months. So, yeah, I guess this is impressive. And that's what people have to understand if publicly traded companies are now taking a closer look and now we have less than 30 and I, and I predict that in 2021, we're probably gonna have more than 100. That is gonna be fun. But again, uh, I it's it's your call. Like let's explore Bondbridge, which to me is a fascinating project and you are investors in there. Like, and the... Let's put it this way. All I will say, it's a tokenized risk protocol. Now, the rest you will have to explain in layman terms what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, Constantine, how about I share my screen and actually run, run you through it? That's, that's sure. the way to do it. I think that's, that's the perfect way, yeah. Okay. Um, can you guys see here tokenized risk protocol? Yep. yep. Okay, perfect. Um, so this is Barnbridge. So what is Barnbridge? Um, essentially, it's a this super powerful money Lego um, for risk return tranches. So, you know, this has been something that's been a, a, a core financial primitive for the traditional finance industry, all the way back to like 1970, when Ginny May first issued mortgage-backed securities. Um, essentially, it allows you to enter positions uh, with a kind of pre-hedge risk. So you can cap your downside and cap your upside if you want to buy Bitcoin but you don't want it to go to zero because you're an institution that's investing hundreds of millions of dollars in it, like MicroStrategy. Um, then you can buy kind of pre-hedged uh, volatility risk position in you know volatile assets like Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, so that's one of their products. And the second is the interest rate risk. Well, uh, that's the, the smart yield product. Um, and that product allows you to build things like fixed income securities, where uh, you know you have traditional bonds. That are yielding or T-bills that are yielding less than a percent um, in the traditional finance space. Uh, in DeFi, the yields are a lot higher, uh, but they're so volatile. They fluctuate constantly. So how can you package all those DeFi yields together um, and create kind of junior and senior tranches, uh, the junior being you know, more risky with a higher return potential, and the senior being as uh, risk off as like a fixed 3% interest rate on, uh, on like DAI or like, you know, another U.S. dollar peg stable coin. Um, so that's what that's what Barnbridge does. And keep in mind those products aren't out yet. But what is out and live now are their token distribution uh, mechanisms, which is these these liquidity incent uh, incentivization pools. So I'm going to go ahead and click launch app here, and we'll show you the actual uh, Barnbridge app, which is where you can engage in these yield farming strategies. Um, and again, yield farming is essentially just using putting your tokens to work to earn either more to, uh, yield or interest in that token that, you're, that you have as your underlying collateral, 
or another token that could be like the governance token of the protocol that you're that you're using, like the comp token for compound, uh, or in Barnberg's case, the bond token, B-O-N-D. Um, so let's talk about <coughs> let's talk about the three pools and how they work, kind of what's going on behind the scenes from a smart contract perspective. And then I'll ask EJ to, you know, interrupt me if I'm getting too technical and he wants to dumb any of this thing, uh, any of these kind of concepts down and make it a little more relatable, then, you know, please go ahead if I, if I get a carried away. Um, and then we'll talk about, you know, maybe some of the risks with each of the pools, um, maybe some of the estimated, you know, return profiles, the yields, you know, this isn't me putting a price prediction out there saying what, you know, a future bond price might be. This is me saying, you know, mathematically, uh, what the return on these investments in terms of an APY is currently today. And that's just, that's just a mathematic uh, calculation. So it's much less subjective. Um, so we'll start with pool one. So pool one, which is uh, this USDC, DAI and SUSD pool is mm -hmm. as simple as it gets when it comes to yield farming. All you have to do as a user is, you know, go on Coinbase or your fiat on-ramp of choice and acquire um, USDC. Uh, or DAI, or uh, SUSD is synthetic to stablecoin, and it's not listed out there on a lot of fiat on-ramps, um, but you can get it kind of in the DeFi ecosystem on one-inch exchange or, or elsewhere. Which so, again, just, just to note, like, which is typically one-to-one, -one, you know, equivalent to dollar. That's right. That's right. Yep. So this is more or less risk-free. Um, also important to note that these do lose their peg to the dollar. Uh, there are situations and events um, that have happened before. So there is precedent for uh, one of these stable coins to not equal $1 exactly. Uh, the nice thing with USDC is that Coinbase always honors the one-to-one -one ratio. Mm -hmm. So uh, no matter what, you know, where the peg is on, on USDC, you can uh, deposit into your Coinbase account and then redeem exactly that, you know, 500 USDC will be worth 500 US dollars uh, that you can withdraw to your bank account um, every time. So that's what, do, do you remember maybe like what's was what was the the highest deviation from dollar like in USDC or any like stable coins that we've seen so far and what was the reason for that? Um, EJ, maybe correct me here if I'm wrong. It, you know, we typically don't see it outside of uh, like 50 base points, but it's mm -hmm. lost like a couple percent at times. Uh, specifically, Dai has had some kind of issues. Uh, EJ, do you remember? Yeah, Dai was it. So when we had that issue around kind of the mass liquidations around Black Thursday, um, that that event in in mid March, where there was kind of a run on liquidity everywhere, um, and you know you saw stock prices, gold prices, crypto prices all fall. Uh, people were kind of scrambling to unwind their leverage positions in their maker vaults, and so Dai was trading at a premium. Um, and I think that was probably I think it got up to like a dollar five something like that, but um, when you hear, so, so like you can said, there is that potential for some fluctuation, but they're designed to stay pegged to a dollar and through kind of arbitrage, like that will always revert. Um, when you hear about anything that is more than that, like recently, a week or two ago, uh, there was an issue on compound where I don't remember if it was with Dai or USDC, but one of the two, one of the two spiked up to one thirty on mm -hmm. compound, but that wasn't truly what those assets were valued at in the market. The problem there was that Compound relies on a limited Oracle system that looks only at, uh, I believe it's Coinbase and one other, one other centralized provider. And on, the, on those exchanges, um, there, there was a premium that caused this kind of like, again, sort of flash liquidation phenomenon. But the real price of those tokens 
tends to stay kind of within like the 5% mark. Um, okay. So you cannot lose or gain more than 5% just to clarify that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. If you wait, yeah, it's going to, well, you can lose a lot more than that if you're, if you're super leveraged and then, you know, if you're 99% leveraged and it goes from a dollar to a dollar two and that's, and you're borrowing the stable coin, then, then you can be in trouble. But um, you know, the tokens, the, the stable coins have different designs to maintain that peg. And historically, you know, they, they've proven pretty effective at, at doing so. Okay. You know, let's, let's move on. I just want to make sure like yeah. we, people clearly understand what they're getting into. So. Yeah, that's, no, that's a great explanation. Um, so yeah, so like we were saying, these are, these are stable coins, so they're pegged to the dollar and they maintain that peg pretty well for the most part. Um, and all you have to do is you, you deposit one or more of the stable coins supported here, USDC, DAI, or SUSD, and you earn bond every week. It's liquid, so you can sell it. Um, you can use it in the other pools to kind of accumulate and earn additional yield. Uh, if you want to go, if you want to be, you know, hold and go long. Um, and kind of the, the, the risk present is uh, primarily just smart contract risk with the smart contract that's set up for this yield farming pool. Um, we've seen kind of the TVL, which is the total value locked, uh, kind of the total value of all deposits in the smart contract exceed $500 million. Um, so we would, you know, EJ and I would consider that uh, more or less sufficiently battle tested. Uh, where we trust it. Uh, we also have worked with the Barnbridge team and founders to ensure that there's been uh, a number of audits. Um, so, you know, this is, it's not something that the team just put out. It's, you know, they were very careful and had multiple kind of third-party um, redundant audits to ensure that uh, user collateral would be as safe as possible um, in the contract. So that's pool one, uh, deposit stable coins and earn bond every week. Super simple. Um, Pool two is a little more complicated, uh, a little riskier, and with a higher return profile. Um, so pool one's return, you know, fluctuates. It's somewhere 20, 25% typically. Uh, it's, you know, it's based per on- Per year, just, just, just in case, if people yeah. are thinking about a monthly. <laughs> yeah, annual percentage yield. Um, APY, I'll notice, is not a great term in crypto because the shelf life on these yields is often much shorter and the volatility is uh, much greater. So, you know, if this pool is only available for- 25 weeks, uh, like it's showing here, and you're quoting an annual percentage yield, it's good to benchmark against other, uh, you know, other yields and other products elsewhere in, in traditional finance or uh, throughout DeFi. But, um, you know, this is only going to be available for 25 weeks. So that the, your ability to actually capture that entire yield, uh, you know, is obviously going to be kind of half. Um, but yes, I'm quoting APYs uh, here. So pool two, um, like I was saying, is more complicated. So you actually need to take two tokens, your USDC and your bond token. Um, you can, you know, you can just earn bond in, in pool one, so you don't ever have to buy it, um, or you can buy it off the open market. And you take those two tokens and you deposit them into Uniswap, which is kind of the premier DEX in the space. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's an AMM. Um, so you take it you, by providing liquidity in Uniswap, you, you get an LP token in return, which, re which represents your kind of share of that pool in Uniswap of all the liquidity. Um, and you take that LP token and you actually deposit that back here in the Barnbridge app. Uh, and by taking on the additional risks of smart contract risk in, in Barnbridge and Uniswap, uh, the risk of impermanent loss in Uniswap uh, versus hodling, um, the yield in this pool, which is uh, is much higher intentionally, uh, based on you know from the bond team, is designed to kind of offset a lot of those risks and and uh, you know and reward them 
uh, accordingly. And so that, that yield we've seen as high as 200, 250% APY. Um, so very attractive, but also comes with, you know, the volatility risk of the bond token, the smart contract, the impermanent loss, um, the opportunity cost, which is present everywhere here. Obviously there's other things you could be doing with your stable coins and cream, Aave, wire and compound, you name it. Um, so there's, you know, all those risks here present and there's kind of the, um, the reward to kind of, to compensate for it. The third pool here is, uh, just bond. It's, you know, also very simple. You stake your bond and you earn bond every week. Um, so you, you know, one strategy we're seeing a lot of people in, in the community doing is staking stable coins in pool one earning bond. And then every week they, they claim their rewards and they dump them right into pool three. So that way they can accumulate and build additional yield on that bond position. Uh, so kind of compound interest situation, um, and, you know, really attractive and that yields, uh, has been north of 100%, you know, so also kind of very attractive when you're comparing it to kind of traditional instruments. And uh, as we know, we're in a, a severely depressed kind of interest rate environment, which is kind of depressing yields across the uh, traditional finance space. Um, so to clarify, what, what is the lockup period between, the, you know, the, the second and the third product? Uh, the, it, all these, the pools, you, yeah. all, the, all the pools, uh, all the rewards are able to be claimed every week. Um, and mm -hmm. there's no lockup period at all. So the beautiful thing about these pools is say I'm, uh, you know, I'm yield farming bond and pool one for three weeks at the end. I'm like, Hey, I'm over it. Um, there's some other cool project that's going on, or I just want to cash out. I want to pull my money out. You're You're free to pull your, uh, collateral out your stable coins and kind of the, the staking rewards that you've earned, the bond rewards that you've earned at any time. So there's absolutely no lockup period when it comes to when you can withdraw your collateral um, the period to actually earn rewards is always one week. Wow, that's impressive. And uh, what are the fees? Are there addi additional fees that I have to pay for, you know, withdrawing money or depositing money? Okay. There's no withdrawal fee uh, on any of these pools. It's just your, um, just the transaction fee, which is, you know, the way that you pay for gas uh, to process any, any transaction on the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah. Um, so you just got to pay for your gas. And other than that, you are good to go. So, uh, for real first timers, I think the steps is like, hey, you know, go on a Coinbase, buy some USDC, um, transfer that into a, a MetaMask wallet. MetaMask, yeah. You download the Chrome extension MetaMask. Um, at this point, you'll will be uh, responsible for the custody of your private keys. So you'll want to have some, you know, really solid operational security practices. That means mm -hmm. email your private keys to yourself. Don't store them on your computer. Uh, don't tell your friends what they are. Um, you know, we like to, you know, write them down on paper and store them in a vault. And, you know, we don't even write like the last word of our private key on paper. We memorize it. So we try to be as, as secure as possible because, you know, there's no there's no helpline at MetaMask when, you know, if somebody gets your private keys because you are on a shared Zoom call and you type them in or something um, that you can, hey, you know, Constantine stole my money. Please make him give it back. They're going to be like, no, no, thanks. He's uh, that's his now. And there's nothing you can do about it. So. Uh, when you're custodying private keys, make sure you are absolutely, you know, very, very safe and you follow kind of the, the standard operational security uh, measures that the industry kind of recommends. Um, and and that's really it. EJ, did I leave anything out on kind of, you know, I'm like I said, this is a, you know, this is a demo address uh, for our own operational security. We're not exposing our address. So we're not actually going through these steps, um, but it really is as easy as clicking staking. Uh, enabling the token, which will generate a MetaMask transaction. Uh, you, you enable that token, and then you deposit your stable coins into that pool, and you claim your 
rewards every week. And then you can compound those rewards if you'd like. You can sell them if you'd like. Um, and what, what happens if you forget to basically uh, take out your reward? Are they, do, 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 do they accrue or they just stay there? They do accrue, which is great, um, which is uh, not the case in all platforms. So Synthetics is going to be our next kind of yield farming demo. Yeah. Uh, if we still have time here. And that is not the case with, with SNX rewards. They do expire weekly. Uh, they roll over to the fee pool that, um, that everybody can claim in the next week's uh, rewards. So uh, Barnbridge, you know, very kind of retail uh, newbie user friendly. Um, not a whole lot of teeth here or not a whole lot of traps. Um, not the case in all platforms. So make sure that, you know, these kind of yield farming strategies or the, the particular mechanics of Barnbridge certainly do not apply elsewhere. So make sure to always do your own research whenever you're uh, farming on a new platform. Got it. All right. So we can go to synthetics, right? Sure. Each, was there anything else you want to touch on or are we yeah, good? To you want to hop back to that last screen. It'll just kind of wrap with a quick summary of like why three pools, what purpose they serve beyond yeah. that kind of practicality. Mm -hmm. So what we went with, like, Back in, you know, to, to compare again to 2017, you had this ICO situation where people were spending lots of money on some future token that may or may not ever exist. And even if it does, may or may not ever, you know, have any utility, be used, serve any governance function. Um, this is a completely different approach, right? So it was important to the Barnbridge team and, you know, to us as, as investors that there was a way to distribute this token in a democratic and distributed way. So we, we needed to get it into the hands of as many people as possible, but specifically the people that actually care to use the token once the protocol goes live, participate in governance, um, you know, access the smart yield and smart alpha products. So pool one, very simply, what we're seeing here is you're signaling as a user, A, that you possess the stable coins that will serve as the original collateral types for the true Barton Ridge uh, protocol once it goes live. So USDC, DAI, and SUSD. So you're proving that you have proof of collateral is kind of the, what we call it there. B, you're illustrating that you understand, like you know how to operate MetaMask, you know how to um, execute the staking function and how to kind of do the basis of yield farming. And C, you care enough about the mission of the project and you see value in it to forego the various other opportunities and, and the opportunity costs associated with them that exist uh, throughout DeFi and other kind of yield farm liquidity mining programs. So as Keegan said, that's really low risk. Just I want to put my collateral up to receive some of this bond token and eventually you know, use it within the protocol. The second pool, uh, what Uniswap does as an AMM and to clarify that's automated market maker, um, which is another cool novel kind of net new innovation of DeFi that has never existed before, but um, that's a whole, whole another rabbit hole we won't dive down. But the purpose of pool two is to create liquidity in lieu of sending a bunch of tokens to the centralized exchanges like Binance or Coinbase. Um, we, you need to create a market for someone that hasn't farmed in pool one or that just wants to buy more bond to be able to do so. So this is a way to incentivize users that have earned bond through pool one to put it into Uniswap so that others can buy, uh, you know, there's liquidity in the market to buy or sell the, the bond token. And the reward there is set up to incentivize those early liquidity providers for the volatility risk and the impermanent loss risk that they're taking in Uniswap. And then pool three is similar to pool one that it's designed to kind of like signal an interest in, in Barnbridge and in the bond token, 
but you're just, you're compounding. You're, you're saying, I don't want to sell it. I don't, you know, I, I want to keep earning it and I want to keep my stable coins in pool one, but I also want to earn more bond by staking in pool three. Uh, and that obviously, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a signal for one thing, but it's also positive for the price of the token in that, um, you know, it's, it's an alternative to just kind of selling to realize a gain from what you've been able to farm in pool one. So really quickly, if I can ask you maybe now that we're going deeper into it, like, so what, what is the, the bond price when we're looking at the screen right now, like, you know, it's $27.38. So what, what is it like, what's the value behind the bond price? So the value in, in the bond price and in kind of like any of these governance specific tokens is that you become kind of a partial owner of, of this protocol once it goes live. And, um, you know, there are a lot of different ways that that can become valuable in the future, but very kind of fundamentally, what that means is you have a commensurate say in decisions that are made on, you know, new iterations to the product, new collateral types to accept, um, you know, where, where the smart yield uh, product might kind of allocate funds, um, what different assets the smart alpha product will be able to manage. And you see that, you know, like uh, Curve is a good example where the Curve governance token, you know, they had a, a very different kind of emission schedule and that didn't have the best impact uh, on the Curve token price. But you do kind of see the utility that a governance token can have uh, through Curve or through you know, compound again to, to say is probably one of the easier ways to see that if you go in and, and you can actually look at all the votes that are live to change kind of the the mechanics of their lending and borrowing markets. And as a token holder, you you have a direct ability to vote on these issues. And once you get to a certain threshold of, of ownership or stake, you can actually kind of propose them yourself. So the the value is derived from um, you know the belief in the project's vision and the desire to kind of have a say and a voice in its development moving forward. So kind of like a much more fluid, um, you know, voting say that you would have through a traditional equity share. Whereas most people that hold common stock in Apple, for example, are never gonna go in and like actually vote on any of these issues or, or follow them closely enough. But the point is here that you can, or, or you can, you know, delegate someone else to make those choices for you. But the governance tokens really their their value comes from, you know, where you see the project going in the future and and your willingness to to have a say in that future. So then, so I know it's a totally different can of worms we're opening right now, but really quickly maybe, uh, like uh, how how can I vote right now? For example, I hold let's say ten thousand dollars worth of uh, bond token and I want to participate in the governance of uh, the bond bridge. So how would I impact you know like and how what what would it look like? So bond bridge is actually uh, the the DAO is not live yet, so we're free product for bond bridge. So. Um, there's a launch DAO, which EJ and I, as kind of seed investors, are a part of with the, the founding team and the developers and the other advisors and investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so we vote through an Aragon DAO for, for that situation. So you would, lo- you know, there's uh, an Aragon website, you log in, you connect your MetaMask wallet, um, and you can vote commensurately with how many of the, the Barnbridge DAO tokens that you own. Um, and in our case, it was how much, you know, pro rata of the investment in, in that round that we made uh, compared to the other investors and the shares allocated to kind of the core team members. Um, so, you know, that that's kind of how it works. There will be websites, uh, there will be an interface where all the proposals that uh, proposed by anybody in the community with any stake in the platform, um, and there'll be kind of different uh, thresholds for 
One is their kind of um, quorum for do we have enough people to actually vote on this measure? And then what's the actual threshold to actually pass, pass the proposal? And that can be for anything like, hey, you know, let's list another collateral type. Uh, let's list another um, tranche position on, you know, a, a different yield product or a different platform. Um, or let's list kind of a volatility tranches for a different asset. Um, and then the, the other kind of major price driver for tokens that we see kind of universally across DeFi, um, again, Barn Bridge's pre-product uh, and, you know, governance will be handed over to the community um, via the DAO. Uh, that's not live yet, but uh, for things like synthetics, which we'll jump into right now, that token actually represents a real claim on the cash flows of the protocol. Um, so in that case, it's, you know, it's like a dividend where you can, uh, you can value the token via traditional valuation methods like discounted cash flow and look at, you know, what claim on the cash flow does the token have in terms of staking rewards or, or you name it. Um, and then kind of as usage increases exponentially over the coming years and people find the product useful, um, what, how, you know, how are the, how's that fee pool, which, you know, we like to look at token terminal, which I have open here. Um, and it shows kind of the market cap, the price. Uh, the revenue or the fees generated by the, the protocol. Um, and you can use that to kind of run PE ratios um, or do discounted cash flows and say, hey, if this is, uh, if this protocol is actually generating this much cash flow, or this much revenue, how much do I think it's going to be worth in two years with 5x uh, more usage or whatever kind of drivers you want to use in your financial model there? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the other kind of big element and, and token price driver that we look at, again, doesn't apply to Barnbridge yet because the products aren't live yet, um, but it applies to a lot of other products and, and a lot of tokens in the ecosystem, uh, synthetic specifically, which we'll jump into uh, next. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's super helpful. And again, like, you know, the the token terminal that you showed, like, I guess it's like almost like a future Yahoo Finance, like element of it, like, you know, which is very important for big, bigger institutions to just take a look at uh, how can I provision like what's going to be right. with this particular protocol in the future. Right. Yeah, like EJ was saying, you know, back in 2017, these were like half-baked white papers and PowerPoint decks that we were investing in with no product, uh, certainly no cost-growing product. So it was more like, hey, I think it's going to be worth 50 bucks. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like that was that was kind of the the most sophisticated valuation methodology that we had at our disposal at the time. Yeah. Um, now we can use all the traditional valuation methods because, you know, these are cash flowing, you know, digital companies. Um, and the tokens more or less, uh, you know, in some cases represent kind of digital securities or equities. So, um, you know, much, much happier and much safer investing these days um, uh, than it was in kind of the 2017 ICO era. Um, so with that said, you know, if you're okay with the counseling, I know we're kind of already running over time here, but uh, would you want it's to- It's fine. Let, let's do it. I, I think it's worth it. It's such, an, it's such a fascinating topic, so we should go all the way. Okay, cool. Um, so let's first talk about kind of what synthetics is. Um, so for one, synthetics is kind of two pieces. There's an exchange, which was recently rebranded to Puenta.io, uh, and then there's kind of the minter uh, staking side of synthetics. And that, you know, that is a mechanism to provide collateral or liquidity for the exchange. Um, but at a high level, uh, Synthetics is this insanely cool decentralized derivatives exchange um, that enables traders from anywhere in the world to trade virtually any asset in the world with infinite liquidity and zero slippage. Um, this is made possible by kind of chain link oracles that power uh, what we call synths. So th- synths are just synthetic representation of any asset, and you know, I'm clicking on this drop down right now to show you uh, any assets from crypto like ETH, uh, Bitcoin, 
a DeFi index, which tracks, you know, a number of, uh, if you want to gain exposure to kind of DeFi in general, and, you know, you don't know which ones to pick or how much allocation or waiting to put to those individual tokens in your portfolio, you can just go long uh, or short for that matter on DeFi uh, or any of the other tokens here. Um, Forex, so synthetic dollars, euros, Japanese yen, uh, pounds, you name it. Um, equities, which right now are just kind of, you know, London's FTSE 100 and Tokyo's uh, Nikkei 225. Uh, so a couple of uh, indices, but with planned support for American equities like Tesla, Apple, Amazon, um, which you'll be able to trade long, short, futures, options, with leverage, you name it. Uh, really any financial instrument or any other money Lego that's present in the space. Uh, can be applied to cents, which are kind of individual tokens. Um, and then the kind of the fourth uh, asset class that's available on Quenta, uh, formerly synthetics, is commodities like gold, silver, uh, perpetual oil futures, uh, et cetera. So um, like I mentioned, the kind of our, why we're so bullish on the exchange and therefore the token, which has a claim on the cash flows generated by the exchange, is all these future use cases for any asset in the world that has a chain link price speed uh, can trade on this uh, exchange with no KYC, with infinite liquidity, zero slippage, um, and any financial kind of instrument that you would like, uh, futures, options, you name it. So that's synthetics in a nutshell. Um, that's why clearly you can see I'm you know extremely excited about it. Um, and that's the that's the exchange portion. So that's kind of the first half. Uh, you know, and now we'll talk about. The back end. What what does the back end look like? How are all these? You know, who who's the casino? Who's the house um, that allows for all these gambling on different assets? Uh, and the house or the casino is really this uh, this minter piece right here. Um, so again, this is a fresh wallet with you know no assets in it uh, for the purposes of the demo. But I'll walk you through how to actually get started in staking SNX, which uh, which staked SNX, the value of all the SNX staked serves as collateral or liquidity for the exchange that we just uh, showed. So the first thing you're gonna wanna do is buy SNX. Uh, you need the SNX token. Um, and you can get that on one inch. Uh, so if you wanna buy USDC or uh, ETH on Coinbase, you wanna send that to a MetaMask wallet that you own and you have kind of secure ownership of the private keys. You can go on one inch, which is this really cool uh, decentralized exchange aggregator um, that you know programmatically routes your trades to find you uh, the best price, to find you the lowest slippage, um, to try to save you on gas across kind of all the different exchanges that it, you know, that it's plugged into. So Uniswap, Dodo, SushiSwap, Balancer, et cetera. Um, so you go on here, you, you know, trade your USDC for SNX. Keep in mind that, you know, this is a real trade, uh, unlike Barnbridge, when you're just, you know, kind of proving collateral, putting your stable coins up, earning bond, and then you can withdraw the stable coins at the end. This is a real trade. So you're actually exchanging your stable coins for SNX. Uh, or your Ethereum for SNX. So, um, you know, this is, this is not, this is no free lunch here. Um, so once you have your SNX, you hop over to minter.synthetics.io and you'll have your SNX in the wallet that's connected here. You'll go ahead and you'll click this mint button. Um, this will give you the option to either max it out or be a little more conservative. If you want to have a, you know, if you want to save some SNX not stake, that's fully liquid that you can sell whenever you want or whatever. Um, and you press the mint now button. What happens when, you know, behind the scenes in the smart contract and you press this mint now button is you're being issued a SUSD and that SUSD that you're issued becomes a debt that you will then owe back to the system whenever you want to unlock the SNX, enable, you know, in order for me to transfer to EJ, to sell it on one inch, to do whatever I want with it, 
I don't have access to that SNX that I staked until I pay back my debt. Um, and then the ratio between the total value that you have staked and the debt that you have uh, is called your collateralization ratio. So that's just, if you look at kind of this little table down here, you'll see that you'll have you know X number of SNX that are worth $4.91 uh, as of this recording today. Um, that'll give you kind of a total value of all the SNX. And then you'll have a debt down here, which is the total uh, number of SUSD that you've minted against your staked SNX. Um, and in order to claim staking rewards, you'll have to maintain a 600% collateralization ratio. Uh, for example, like $600 in staked SNX for every $100 of debt that you have. Um, and if you do that, what you get in return for staking uh, SNX, which is providing collateral and liquidity to the exchange and enabling that awesome product that we just went through, is uh, you, you get SNX staking rewards and you get SUSD staking rewards. So you'll go uh, at the end of the, uh, of the week, you'll go in here um, on Wednesday mornings, you know, Pacific, and you'll be able to claim your SUSD and your SNX. Your SUSD, where these rewards are coming from, these are actually the fees that are generated by that exchange. So any, everybody who's trading on Quinta is paying a fee in order to trade. So if I want to go long on gold or short on DeFi or Ripple or whatever, um, I have to pay a fee in order to make that trade. And those fees are split up pro rata based on all the stakers on SNX. Mm -hmm. um, the second component of that reward is your actual SNX rewards. And that comes from SNX's inflationary monetary policy. So SNX has very transparently and deliberately uh, installed a inflationary mon monetary policy where they're printing more SNX in order to incentivize or bootstrap liquidity for the exchange. Um, that return has been, you know, uh, close to a year ago when EJ and I were first, you know, first got involved in staking SNX, that return was like 90 plus percent. It was crazy. And it's on this exponential decay. Um, so today it's, you know, we'll, I'll go over to SNX tools, uh, which are built by our good friends at Framework Ventures um, and SNX stats, uh, dashboard.synthetics.io. These are two uh, really popular tools for kind of understanding all the, all the various metrics involved with staking SNX. Um, and you can kind of see what the, the annual yields and various pools are. So in just staking SNX uh, in general, this, so this is kind of showing the total market cap, the SNX volume, the price, the average C ratio, Here's your current uh, SNX staking APYs, it's about 20, 24%. Um, and you can get a, get a sense of, hey, you know, what's my opportunity cost? How much am I making and staking rewards? Um, and then that's your first level. So I think so, I'll pause and let you react. Yeah, yeah so let me, because this is fascinating. I, I think it's mind blowing, like, you know, on the one hand, but I also can assume it might be a little bit more complicated for people who are the first time, like, you know, engaging with this content, because there's a lot of moves. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things, how to evaluate the risk and the opportunity, as you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. So let's can you come back to the other screen when there is uh, the SNX uh, tools, you know, the one that it's in, oh no, this one, yeah. So right now, just, just from, let's go from like, coming from a greed factor, right? So right now, the current uh, SNX staking APY is about 24%, right? If we go back to with the logic, like, you know, you don't have to be, go on a screen, but just we remember that the barn bridge, like, you know, the first, the pool number one actually provides you a similar return, which is, again, you're not 
staking more volatile asset it's a stable coin which is as a usdc and you know like the risk are i would say lower than this particular context right so can you explain the logic right now for someone who's trying to get like you know in this particular moment of time it can change obviously in a, in a month right so what how would you evaluate the opportunity between those two options sure um couple factors maybe i'll let ej chime in since i've been you know, talking forever but um, one like one of the points that EJ mentioned earlier is kind of the fully diluted value and how that has an effect on token price. Um, and then the second thing I'd say is these are just two different use cases. So really, it's like, hey, how much usage do you think these use cases are going to generate? Um, how many fees do you think the protocol will generate based on that usage? Um, and then which token will be, you know, have a higher future price? And which token do I want to try to accumulate now? So mm -hmm. um, one may have a higher yield now than the other, but those yields are denominated in bond and SNX. So if the SNX token appreciates much more than bond, then the lower yield, you know, your net, you're uh, coming out with a better uh, end result and bet better net return. Um, so that's kind of the high level that I'll leave it at. And then I'll let EJ jump in if he has anything. Yeah, so I think, you know, for, for looking specifically at pool one for, for bond, which I think is what you were asking about, Constantine, yeah. you're, it's a very simple mathematical equation. You have a certain amount, call it, $10,000 worth of USDC that you're staking in pool one, you can see right on the, right on the barn bridge UI down on the, my pool balance piece, what kind of proportion of that pool you, your collateral makes up. And then you get that percentage of the 32,000 weekly bonds. So the only variables are how much collateral you've put in. And there's also a, a time function. So if you deposit midway through the week, it's, it's pro rata based on how long you were staking, but assuming you were in at the beginning of the week, your percentage, and then how, what happens to the, the bond token price once you receive it. Obviously, if, if we're quoting a certain APY, but then bond gets cut in half or doubles overnight, that's changed like what your true realized yield has been. But that's very simple. Whereas in the synthetics case, you know, you're, you're staking, uh, the token is much more mature. So you know, th that can be looked at in a couple of ways. One, explosive growth might be not as likely, but at the same time, synthetics is you know, set to release a ton of exciting products in, in the coming months. So um, maybe not as applicable here, but you, you know, you also have kind of the, the SUSD component of it. And the idea there um, for, for folks that are familiar with Bitcoin, but maybe not DeFi as much, um, the sort of the, the seesaw counterbalance of the reward in synthetics in SNX token and the reward in SUSD. The, the concept being that as more of these novel products come online to synthetics exchange and there's more users that are, are willing to trade them and pay that 30 basis point fee, the fees generated by the exchange are going to be higher. So while the SNX emission is kind of on a diminishing schedule and will eventually end just like Bitcoin, there'll eventually be no, no more um, Bitcoin mining rewards denominated in Bitcoin once we hit the 21 million, the idea on the Bitcoin side is that the network fees will be sufficient at that point to still incentivize miners. So yeah. in the synthetic ecosystem, the idea is like as the SNX rewards are kind of winding down, the SUSD component is coming up and it's still going to make it lucrative for you to, as Keegan said before, act as one of these many decentralized players forming the, the house of the casino, if you will. Yeah, because Bitcoin economy is deflationary, right? That's why people, it's it's kind of easier to predict, like, you know, if the adoption, you know, 
it becomes bigger and the demand is growing and it's something like scarce asset, then the price goes automatically. Here, it's a little bit more complex because you're issuing additional, again, uh, ironically, I have to use the word synthetic like asset, SUSD, like on top of what you already have with SNX. So you have to think with, you know, like a, I would say more complex logic here. That's why that's the reason why I'm asking. So, so let's assume like bullish case. Again, we can speculate a little bit. This is not a promotion. I'm not a, I'm not an investor in like in uh, SNX or any of the, the constituent like, you know, exchanges. So I can, I, I'm, I'm, I can speculate with facts. So Imagine it will be listed in one of the top exchanges, whatever that might be, Gemini, Coinbase, doesn't matter, right? And the price doubles, just hypothetically, right? So, so the people who already staked uh, on SNX, like, you know, the short-term contract, like whatever it may be, like it's a week, and then they have additional uh, SUSD value. So what's going to happen to, what's going to happen then? So nothing and the price will just grow or what's the outcomes? Well, yes, that, you, as, a staker, you, as, as, as a staker, what that means is, like Keegan showed before, your collateralization ratio is based on the value of the synthetics that you have staked and the value of the debt that you've minted against it. Um, so, you know, all, all other things equal, say there's no more trading activity kind of in the synthetic pool, like against you, if you will, your collateralization ratio is going to go up if, if the price doubles. So you can now mint more USD. Uh, you can SUSD. You can increase your stake uh, in in the staked pool and earn a higher proportion of rewards going forward. Um, but you can, you know, ultimately issue more SUSD debt against your collateral that can then be traded by yourself or or against by others within the exchange. Um, which of course, you know, has a positive effect on how much trading activity is going on in the exchange and how many fees are being generated, and that full cycle kind of proliferates. And that's, that's actually a really good segue into kind of the next level of yield farming with uh, synthetics. This is just layer one in, in the Minter app. What happens with like EJ, when you uh, like EJ just said, if your SNX appreciates, you're able to mint more SUSD and SUSD is a token that has all sorts of interesting and sophisticated yield farming strategies uh, additionally as your second layer. So you, you're, you're yield farming uh, with SNX and you're getting SNX and SUSD. But all that debt that you've issued against your state collateral, uh, that SUSD, you can go out and earn uh, yield elsewhere in the ecosystem as well. Um, and I can really quickly run you through a couple of those options because it kind of demonstrates. Um, sure, let's do it. How, yeah, and it demonstrates how amazing synthetics has been uh, from the get go and incentivize one kind of giving birth to yield farming and kind of the, the standards that we know today. Um, and two, incentivizing directly composability with other protocols. Uh, and like EJ said, making it attractive for uh, you as an SUSD holder to go and provide liquidity elsewhere. Um, so that way, kind of all, the entire DeFi ecosystem has uh, SUSD proliferated throughout. So what one thing you can do, and, uh, and I'll kind of just show you when I said uh, Synthetics actually incentivizes you to provide liquidity elsewhere, um, or this LP reward section up here in the top right, you can see all the different incentive programs that Synthetics is running or has run previously. Um, so between Curve, between Uniswap, between Balancer, and then actually owning some of these synths and staking those, uh, Synthetics has paid out, and you know, in the case of Curve, it's 8,000 SNX per week. For anybody who's taking their SUSD and they're providing it as liquidity on Curve to be able to trade stablecoins against it. Um, so that's, you know, that's this next layer of what you can actually do. Uh, and I'll kind of show you really quickly 
if you wanted to take advantage of this curve pool SUSD reward, you could simply hop over to curve, um, go, you know, this top left menu and select SUSD, make sure that you have SUSD selected or else it won't show you kind of the right option, go into the deposit screen and then max out your SUSD or put out however much SUSD you'd like to stake. Uh, and then you can hit deposit, which will now earn you curve fees, or you can hit deposit in stake, which is kind of the two-step transaction. Um, and now you'll be staking in curve and you'll be earning three assets now. You'll be earning SNX and SUSD, uh, just like you were previously. And you're also earning CRV, which is Curve's native governance token. So now this entire strategy, the, the two levels of it is one, I'm earning SNX and SUSD. Now I've taken uh, that SUSD that I minted, I've deposited it in Curve and I'm earning trading fees for all the traders that use uh, my liquidity to trade in Curve. And I'm also earning the CRV, the Curve governance token. So this is just like compounding yields, layers and layers, getting super technical, but it's demonstrating the larger point that the composability of this space and kind of the total yield that's possible, uh, you know, that's leveraging smart contracts and blockchain is uh, is just, you know, it's, it, it's an exponential orders of magnitude improvement uh, or game changer that, you know, that we've seen in traditional assets like being traditional equities. So, are there any other levels after? There are. There's always other levels. <laughs> That's the thing. There's always <laughs> more levels in DeFi. Always do it red tail. So, you know, let's talk about what if you, let's talk about wire real quick. So Wiren uh, at a high level is a platform that does now has been, you know, they've been building out all sorts, you know, this menu a few months ago only had three or four options. Now they're building out products like you name it. This is Andre, the, uh, the, the you know, core developer that I mentioned earlier. Um, he's a genius and, and, and ships products faster than anybody kind of in history, probably. Um, but anyways, if you wanted to just take your SUSD and rather than put it on curve, you wanted to uh, deposit it into uh, a earn uh, vehicle on Wiren, um, you can go you can go ahead and just click SUSD here in the Wiren and then max out, put whatever percentage you'd like. And what this does right now, SUSD isn't the greatest example because it's really only available on uh, for depositing on Abe. Um, but say you had something like Dai which is available on Maker and Compound on Ave and all you know all sorts of places. Um, you what this does is it programmatically allocates your die to whatever money market in the space has the highest yield at that time. So you are constantly maximizing your yield. The analogy that I'll use here is like, say I have a you know I have some some cash sitting in a savings account at Chase, but Bank of America comes out and they do, hey, we're going to offer twice as much interest as Chase. And now, you know, I have to go to Chase or go online. I have to pull out. I have to create an account at Bank of America. I got to, you know, withdraw and deposit and move it. I got to do all those steps uh, to capture the 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 delta, and, you know, the increase in yield available yeah. at Bank of America. What, what they do essentially, they, they're, they're trying, they're putting like Bank of America, let's say Chase uh, and other banks to compete for your yields. That's right. Complete, compete for your collateral, uh, compete yeah. for your liquidity because they can use that liquidity to lend out. Yeah. Um, in a completely seamless, seamless way that you don't even have to do anything as the user. And, and from a market perspective, it's important to remember that although this kind of seems like a cat and mouse game in a sense, that there's a reason that there is yield one place higher than the next. It's because that's better. There's more use for that capital there. There's more demand for that capital there. So what you're achieving here at a, at a you know, large scale is seamless and immediate 
capital efficiency, which is something that we just don't see in the traditional world um, because there is no composability and interoperability like between the savings account, like Keegan said, and you have the, the gating items of needing to go through the, you know, the registration process, having accounts, different places, uh, background checks, all those things. So, I mean, it's just, it's just night and day kind of the, the, the experience for the user, but also mm-hmm. the efficiency of the system at large. Yeah, this is impressive because it's also transparent, you know, like, and uh, as opposed to traditional finance, you would never know where your money is going to be lent out like 10 times, you know, after yeah. it's deposited to the bank. Like here, you at least like it sounds complex, but at the same time, I just want to encourage people who are listening to the podcast version to take a look at the YouTube and people who are watching the YouTube right now and they're looking at it and they're like, Oh my God, I'm probably like, you know, it's not an advice, but like I'm, I'm, I'm probably selling my house and like <laughs> compounding everything. Like, yeah. cause you know, with this strategy it's like, you know, I mean, they're limited. Also another thing I just want to mention, cause we're all excited here. We're talking about like those impressive like uh, opportunities and technologies, but they're probably in time, probably in one, two years, they're going to decrease, you know, as the market growth uh, growth. And uh, so uh, again, not advertising it, but it's a very good time just to take a look and to learn more about it. Uh, now is the time, but coming back to the practical aspect of it. Um, so now you're putting your curve into urine finance, right? Sorry, I, I, I name it urine. I cannot say why urine. It's just hard yeah. for me. <laughs> so, um, so this is another layer, layer, right? So, and I, I'm sure you can figure out some other layers. The question is, how, how do you even trace it? Like, you know, you probably have to have, as an individual investor, you guys are equipped. You probably have some certain systems, you know, like, and uh, in place and institutional money and it's a different story. How one, how would you advise someone who is doing it three to four layers to even track all those things? You are just the segue master, Constantine. So <laughs> the next tab here is Zapper. Um, and so one last thing before we leave the wire. And so all those steps that I just mentioned, uh, those are all programmatic within the smart contract. So you as a end user, you don't have to even know what's going on, where your money is at any time. And frankly, you won't. Um, all you do is you deposit one time into a Y vault uh, or into an earn account. And Wiren takes care of all those steps. So those aren't steps that you're doing as a user. That's I'm kind of explaining what's happening behind the scenes uh, to make it make a little more sense. Like how is this yield possible? Um, in the case of like Y vaults, it's you know it's even more sophisticated than the earn accounts where you know now the Y vault is like barring against your collateral, uh, har- you know harvesting governance tokens, using those governance governance tokens to market buy the asset that you have, depositing that asset back. So it's like pushing the price up and earning more of the actual, uh, like, you know, number of the tokens you have of that asset. So it's doing crazy things. But the fact of the matter is you don't even, you know, have to do any of those steps or even be aware of what they are. Uh, if you don't want to be, um, we recommend everybody kind of do that research and be aware of what's happening because it makes you appreciate it, uh, makes you understand the risks that much more. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, you know, quite easier than I'm making it sound uh, or, you know, you know, maybe I could have done a better job saying, Hey, don't worry about all those things. That's all kind of behind the scenes. Um, so what your question was, Hey, how do I even keep track of all my stuff? Now I have stuff in synthetics and in mentor and curve, and I have LP tokens that are now elsewhere and wire and, uh, like four levels of staking and yield farming. Like how the heck am I going to unwind all these positions? Um, how do I, what if I forget, you know, no one's uh, MetaMask isn't going to call you and say, Hey, 
you know, we just like to remind you about your, uh, your Y vault, uh, position and end of the year. And we want to make sure you, you know, you don't forget about it. That's never going to happen, but who will take care of it for you is Zapper. Um, so this is going to show a whole lot of goose egg because I don't have any assets in this account, but if you did, um, what Zapper is kind of this automated dashboard, uh, and it's more than that. It allows you to actually, it has uh, what are called zaps that allow you to invest and actually deposit your liquidity and maximize your yield and then unstake and unwind those positions as you please. And it kind of uh, keeps track um, of all of your assets across everything that you, you know, across all the platforms, any asset that's held in this wallet um, will be, you know, listed and shown and kind of the, the various layers of yield farming like we we're talking about can be either wound up or unwound um, directly in this one place. So you don't even have to go to all the other websites. Uh, you can really kind of operate out of here from like a portfolio management, asset management, um, once you've kind of built those positions. So it'll show you kind of your account overview, um, how much you know your total assets are worth, uh, what your net worth is. So say you borrow against, you know, say you have uh, 10 grand and you borrow a thousand dollars against your 10 grand, it'll show your net worth at nine grand. Um, it'll show the allocations between uh, platforms and strategies. So if you have yield farming, if you have debt, if you have liquidity mm -hmm. provision, the different strategies, it'll show where all those funds are parked um, and which platforms they're parked on between synthetics and balancer and wire and Aave and everything else. Um, and then the cool, the really cool thing that I love is it actually shows you some of the pools and yield farming strategies that are out there, how many fees that we're earning. So this is kind of similar to that token terminal that we showed you earlier. It shows the revenue by platform, but this brings it down to an actual pool level. So this, the specific three pool curve. So if you remember on curve, we had to like select which pool we wanted. If you go to this, mm -hmm. this is showing this three pool curve right here. Um, Zapper's saying, hey, this three pool curve has generated nine grand in fees over the last 24 hours. If you want to add liquidity there, uh, you can get a pro rata share of those fees. Um, so it's one, it's an asset. It's like a portfolio overview and it shows where all your stuff is, where the assets are parked, what they're doing, uh, the allocation between different strategies. Uh, and then two, it's like, hey, you know, you have some liquidity that's not even uh, you're taking full advantage of. You can actually stake that token or you can add that token as liquidity in this pool and earn additional rewards. So, uh, and then it keeps track of all your transactions uh, and there's kind of other cool, uh, uh, you know, it has like a kind of a basic swap functionality um, and they, they constantly ship. So every time a new platform comes out, they integrate, like they integrated with Barnbridge, I think, you know, EJ, what was it, less than a week or something. Um, so if you own, like, if you own USDC, uh, Bond, the, the Barnbridge pools can be one of these options that it shows you. Or if you own the Bond token and it's not staked in pool three, it'll show you, hey, you know, you can actually put that in pool three and earn even more Bond. Um, so I think that's probably the end of the demo. I think we've covered a lot of, you know, of complex different platforms. Um, we demonstrated kind of the different risks and returns associated with different strategies, uh, how to kind of aggregate them all into one dashboard to keep track of everything. Um, and then just, you know, first and foremost, the, the incredible composability and, uh, and, and the capability of generating just insane returns um, in, in the DeFi space. So unless EJ, unless you have anything else to add to that demo, I think, uh, I think that wraps it up on my end. Yeah. I think we've probably, uh, we've probably given enough now for, for <laughs> to confuse themselves, learn some things, get their hands dirty. And, um, you know, there's, there's tons of resources out there. Um, 
I think Barnbridge has done a really good job of kind of publishing medium articles at every step of the way about what the different different pools do, how you interact with them. And same goes for all these protocols. I mean, Synthetics has a fantastic blog where they're publishing updates on every release and different incentive programs. So, I mean, the information's out there. Uh, you just got to know to look for it and you got to be willing to kind of put in the legwork and, and take the time to, to figure out the space for yourself. But there's, as Constantine said, the opportunity is incredibly ripe and quite frankly, it's, it's just a lot of fun once you get the hang of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, by the way, you're showing right now that DeFi Pulse is one of the other platforms that I recommend just to use. I use it all the day, like, you know, just to watch the portfolio and to see like, you know, what's, what's the movements, you know? So I think you did an amazing job. Like I, for someone who's the first time watching it, that's going to be enough of <laughs> food for thought, you know, and yeah, a lot, probably hundreds of hours of more to research. Um, but at the, at the same time, it's, it's not that complex. So, so I really encourage people to just take a look and whatever, like, you know, just to even try with some pocket change, whatever you're going to happy to lose, like hundred dollars, just to try it on, like, you know, to see that this is, transparent like you know equivalent of swiss bank you know that allows you to to earn to be a real stakeholder not a depositor not a client of a bank but literally a shareholder and a revenue share uh like participant in in a in a in a, in a modern decentralized transparent bank uh which is impressive by itself and i think uh, i we don't know like you know probably we're gonna have some other experiments of that sort and i really hope that the user experience will improve uh, this is my personal message to curve guys like literally it's a game boy design i'm sorry i i, I don't enjoy our <laughs> fidelity yeah uh, yeah we should have probably shown like ave there's some there's some better interfaces so curve. yeah ave is much better but then next next episode like i'm happy to go like a rundown like an ave by the way i'm gonna invite probably stani as a oh, great. Yeah, so yeah so I'm, uh, I'm excited about it so no, guys, I mean, I really appreciate your time. I think what you did is just impressive. And I really wish like, you know, that your vision and your investment thesis will bring more people, not only money, which again, this is the the purpose of the, any investment vehicle, but, but also what's more important, a new paradigm shift, a new understanding that the world is changing, that it is becoming more transparent, it's becoming more global, and it doesn't matter that it, whether you are in the United States and we are, you're in the West Coast, I'm in the East Coast. So yeah, it's, it's not like, we're not fancy like anymore. Like, and you can be anywhere in the world and participate in this new technology. Uh, the last the last thing I want to end up like is more in a philosophical level. It's my uh, Eastern European blood in me. Like, you know, so I'm going to ask you both. Uh, what's the meaning of life to you guys? Wow. EJ, you got to take that one first, man. I need a second. Yeah, I, I specifically <laughs> don't notify people like for this. I yeah. wanted to be very genuine. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, I mean, for me, like a big thing is just reinstoring everyone's faith in humanity and making sure that we have a, a healthy, you know, happy, prosperous world to pass on to the next generation. Um, and then kind of, and that in an essence is just preserving life itself. So preserving the ability for life to go on. Um, and I think that you know, that's, that's what evolution does biologically. And that's what we should uh, kind of be tasked with um, philosophically. So beautiful. EJ. Yeah, no, I mean, like that, that kind of, that kind of hits the nail on the head, but I, I, I always kind of look at it, you know, have friends, family, different religious backgrounds, different outlooks on 
broader philosophy. Um, just kind of, I always just kind of see it as, I guess maybe you'd call it karma, but trying to leave like every person that you interact with, like do more good than harm, bring more happiness than sadness or pain. Um, and then kind of at a more like systemic or, or global level, trying to, you know, as a generation, um, create, a more fair and a more uh, accessible and democratized kind of infrastructure to allow other people to do the same, um, to take away kind of some of the artificial ceilings and the chains that hold others down from being able to realize their own, you know, hopes, dreams, freedoms, whether that means financial or otherwise. Um, and, you know, I think for both of us, that's really like, you can get pretty fanatical about it, but I, I truly do believe that what we're working on here and what everyone in the space is working on here serves those goals. Um, you know, finance DeFi kind of proves to be the first use case of that because people worry about like money is kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs sort of deal. Like one of the things people need to worry about first, but if you can give people the ability to have financial freedom and the wherewithal to not have to worry about money, um, it really frees you up to think about what, what matters to you and pursue kind of like the mark you want to leave on the world uh, at a more meta level, I guess. <laughs> so I hope we'll win more hearts and minds, you know, of people who just watch this uh, interview. And I really appreciate your time, guys. I think you both are amazing. I encourage people to visit your website. I think, it, by the way, it's a pretty cool design, guys. So I'm going to post a link uh, and the, in the description. So, yeah, thank you so much. And I hope, you know, we're going to chat again. It's been a pleasure, Constantine. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Constantine. Looking forward to it. Have a good one. Thank you so much.